the Forever Youngs podcast. Um, and we, we were financially secure enough that, you know, I could afford to fail. Mm -hmm. I'm just very lucky that my first couple businesses were not failures. And that gave me a, call it a bankroll to continue to parlay into subsequent businesses. Right. Um, I started my first business when I was 17 and along the way um, have started, I think 13 businesses now, you know, um, and some of them didn't work out. Right. Yeah. But luckily I won more than I lost. Yeah. And how I got into cannabis was I uh, had a cannabis startup that I sold. Um, again, it's, you know, when I do a reflection on my own personal life, um, sometimes I'm quite amazed at how fortunate or lucky I was. You know, it's a it's a mix of putting yourself in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Um, but man, is it nice to be lucky? <laughs> so when I sold that business, you know, um, I have no no degree. All my businesses previously were private, like uh, solo entrepreneur type. I think the biggest one up to until then was 13 employees. So very, really small businesses, right? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, a friend of mine who had invest, or sorry, a friend's brother um, who invested in a cannabis company, which now uh, back then it was called WeGrow and we were famous for our Quest brand. Now it's known as Decibel. Um, he asked me if I wanted to be the CEO of this company. And it's funny because we talk about um, qualifications. So he's like, you know, I want to, can you give me your resume? I want to show the rest of the board. And I was like, yeah, I'm happy to do so. But it's basically uh, like a checklist of all the companies I've owned. He's like, oh, you never worked for anyone. I was like, last time I held a job was Red Lobster when I was 17, right? Um, and he laughed at that. So obviously no need to share a resume, but he believed in me. And um that wasn't an easy decision for him because for him to defend against um, or defend me to his fellow board members, fellow investors, he had to sell them that this guy, you know, you know, no reputation, no resume is fit to lead this company. Um, and I, I seized that opportunity and, you know, again, got lucky, fortunate, and we did good things with quest. And mm -hmm. as a result, um, the CEO of a private cannabis cultivator. Um, by the time I was done, we were a public company with two facilities for cultivation. The second one being five times the size that we had at Creston, um, an extraction facility here in Calgary and several retail stores. Right. Wow. So, <clears throat> and multiple brands, right. So now it wasn't just quest cannabis. We had, um, prayer records as a retail chain. And then we had all our uh, 2.0 general admission. Like we, we had a lot of stuff going on. Um, so, you know, I, can you write that story as a path? Like if I wanted to tell my son to follow my path, there's no way, you know, mm -hmm. you would have to, so many pieces had to fall um, in the right place for me to have the life that I've had. Giving yourself the best chance. Yeah. So good luck won't happen to you if you're not working hard and putting yourself in that place for that opportunity. Right. right. So case in point, if you are constantly working a nine to five and 
you know, you're not satisfied, but you're not willing to put yourself out there to look to see what else is up there or trying to build a side hustle or a company with your spare time. 30 years go by, you're going to retire out of that nine to five, right? Yeah. And you're going to look back and regret, man, I wish I started a business or I wish I did that. Mm-hmm. But the only one person to blame is yourself because you didn't put yourself okay. in an opportunity to do the, I guess, to have the life that you want, right? You know, it's, it's, it's a lot harder, honestly, to start a business when you're 30 and have responsibilities than when you're 17, right? I'm still living at home. Um, I remember I borrowed a thousand dollars from my mom to start that first business. And, uh, what's the worst that could happen? Like I, I could have worked a part-time job and made that thousand dollars back worst case. right? Right. Um, so, you know, that, that type of loss aversion allows you to just kind of go at it. Right. Um, what was that first business? You don't need to go into details. I'm just curious. What were your first couple businesses around? Yeah, no, I sold car parts online. So I'm 38 now. I started that 17. So what, 21 years ago. And I'll just, I'll just give you, I love talking about this because, um, now fast and furious nine, yeah right yeah i sold car parts and when i talk about car parts probably like body kits and stuff right for modifications of cars uh like tuning and um we launched that website um fast and furious one came out that summer oh that's good for your market yeah exactly it blew up right because all of a sudden it made it cool to like it took it out of the underground if you will um into the mainstream yeah um and Everyone I also kits and subwoofers and tinted windows and lights. exactly. And yeah. So, yeah. and I also, the second part of that story that I love reflecting on, I just think it's a joke, but um, you know, back then there was no Amazon or Amazon was just selling books. Right. eBay was around. Um, PayPal wasn't yet. Right. Or just starting in its infancy in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, so the sales conversion cycle, if you can remember, if you can believe this um, was 35 days from the time someone went online and bought something to the time they received their product to get it shipped to the house. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because they would have to go and get a money order and then mail it the normal way. When I deposit it, because most of my business was in the States, I'd have to wait. I forgot a week or 10 days for it to clear before I'd ship the product. Right. Right. I'm running this business out of my mom's base and we're not about can afford to get a warehouse. So we, we made a deal with an importer out in Vancouver who also had a warehouse on the other side of the border. Um, I forgot what the, the town was called. Right. And so we would just say, listen, we'll pay, we'll take you, we'll move your inventory for you in different channels, but you got to handle the logistics for us. Right. And so when we got an order, they'd ship for us and fulfill. And it was a great relationship. Yeah. Right. Cause they had to, how they moved their product was through distributors and retail shops, tuning shops, right? Yeah. So they went to all these stores and, and sent them three or four kits. But I just took their inventory, put it online and started selling it all through North America. You ended up in cannabis, but you were touching on so many new things then that are so prevalent now, like selling car parts. Yeah, well, and, and that sold, you know, and it was all very good knowledge. So we learned there and then we went into, um, like I had a, internet marketing company which basically back then you can't do this now like everybody has a website right and the prices are so low but back then 
nobody really had a website. Nobody was doing SEO. Um, So this was like 2005, 2006. And I would have labor in Philippines or Thailand build me websites that I would go like for like 500 bucks, not even like 350. Mm. And then I'd sell them for $3,000 to like mom and pops. Realtors were a big customer of mine back then. Yeah. Right. Cause they're like, Oh yeah, we got to get a web presence. So, um, but I learned a lot. A lot of that knowledge is still practically applicable today on how to get visibility, click throughs and stuff like that. Right. Kind of the same thing. You're just on a bigger stage at the principles kind of follow you through. Oh yeah, absolutely. The forever young's podcast. A lot of guys trying to do what Despel did when we were out there, there was us, Broken Coast, Whistler. Yeah, that was the, the, it was just the three of us that were in the premium space. Two of those guys got acquired for like a couple hundred million. Right. Um, Oh, man. Yeah, Whistler went to Aurora and Broken Coast went to Afria. So, and and we were courted, but we wanted to build it ourselves. But man, it was tough trying to raise money. And like the things you're telling me, cash security, it was, we're, we're like, if we have the cash to put down as security, we wouldn't be asking for it. But, you know, we did, we ended up doing some anyway. Um, we, it wasn't one for one. I think we put 500,000 down and we got like a, three or four million dollar line of credit nice so um but yeah it's tough and now with so many companies not uh um how do i say it so many companies like push losing money quarter over quarter it's even tighter for banks right and the policies are getting more stringent it's uh some banks are losing their appetite on it it's hard to get off the ground it's hard to take flight on these things but for those who did, I mean, kudos, right? Yeah. So, and, and that's the funny thing about life. It's a lot of this stuff is opportunities at the right time, yeah. right? So we managed to squeak it out. We weren't, if, if Quest was, I don't know, six months earlier, maybe we would have sold for a massive amount too. Um, mm-hmm. So because we, we weren't able to sell, we had to build it out legit. And now we're worth, I don't know, last I checked today, 35 cents. So we're north of a hundred something odd million, um, but we're generating cash flow now. So I'm sure that by the end of the year, we will continue to go up to 130, 140 million and just build it up the proper way, right? But wouldn't it have been nice that we were six months earlier and sold it for 200 million. Having said that, you never know what the deal looks like. Maybe they got a bunch of stock and Aurora tanked and it actually was 30 million, who knows? Yeah. So shoulda, coulda, woulda. <laughs> Hindsight's twenty twenty. But now I think, okay, well, what's the next thing? I mean, and now you're sort of getting hints and in, in other countries at psychedelics and it treats postpartum, it treats anxiety. Like when I think about it, maybe 10 years from now, five years from now, do you think that's a realistic um, happening that, you know, they'll legalize that? Yeah, you know, it, nobody knows what it's going to look like. I can assure you though, um, psychedelics will not be treated the same way cannabis is. So I definitely think it will be legal in a therapeutic sense. Mm. Is it going to go all the way to the recreational as we see cannabis? I highly mm. doubt it. Okay. Um, you know, remember cannabis had a long history of usage in the black market. It was very, 
I call it a, a crime that wasn't policed, right? When I went to 420 in Vancouver, and of course, acknowledging Vancouver and all of BC pretty much is much more liberal than the rest of Canada. Having said that, when I went to 420 um, in English Bay, like, you know, you got people selling weed and clumps walking through, like, and I'm talking like Ziploc bags, right? <laughs> so um, I, I know Vancouver City Council decided to decriminalize mushrooms as well, but um, I just don't see it going the way recreationally, like call it alcohol or um, cannabis will go partially because the history behind it isn't there. And mm -hmm. also I feel that psychedelics, um, if not dosed properly, um, mm -hmm. has a much more severe, call it uh, repercussion. Right. Yeah. Um, Interesting. You know, like you, you get, I guess if you get drunk, you can get behind the wheel of a car and stuff, but um you yeah. know, psychedelics, if not dosed and monitored properly, you can get on some pretty bad, serious trips. Right. So you think it'll probably be used in like maybe more of the medical prescription space? Yeah. Oh, definitely. That I can assure will happen in our lifetime. Um, and that's why you have all these companies rushing to, I guess, um, produce that first pharmaceutical grade psilocybin with a practical application, right? be it for PTSD or, or menopause or whatever it is. The Forever Young's podcast. See a lot of people go into entrepreneurship and, you know, try to start their own company. And then they get involved in that space and they realize, okay, I don't have the stomach for this because, you know, they're not getting paid every two weeks. Um, they're out on their own. They realize that they're reporting to no one. It can be a lonely place for sure. Um, but I want to sort of get your take on it because not a lot of people are built the way you're built. Yeah. So like, you know, my background, it's quite unorthodox. Um, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll try to pick some of the questions and give you direct answers, but, uh, my, my view on school, I think it's important, um, because it, it's almost like a security blanket. Mm. I do not think what you learn in school translates to the real world. Um, there's not a lot of practical theory um, taught, at least in my experience through school. Um, and I never graduated university, but I did spend a few years there. Um, but I do think that, you know, in the event, me starting businesses uh, didn't work out. Had I had a degree, I'd been, I'd be able to fall back on a job that's decently paid, right? Whereas, you know, if I were to rewind my story, and my first few businesses all failed and I'm in a mountain of debt. You know, I go out there, I'm working a job that doesn't have require education because that's the only thing I can get. Mm -hmm. And I have to start from there. Right. So, you know, if you have the opportunity to go to school, this is typically for those who have no idea what they want to do. Um, I would always suggest getting a degree, a practical degree to allow you to have something to fall back on. Um, with respect to entrepreneurship, listen, this is not this is nothing new. Although I would say that in the last 15, 10 to 15 years, um, it's become almost on trend. 
And I say that because I think, you know, when, when 20, 30 years ago, you're growing up and if you want to get wealthy, you think about winning the lottery, what you're going to spend when you hit that lotto ticket. Um, in recent years, you hear a lot of these guys talk about, oh man, I want to start the next Uber or start the next Tesla. And, 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 and it's just because of the massive wealth accumulation that comes with hitting that successful one. But, you know, humans were built on um, creating value and doing it for themselves, right? And I think we all have from um, all the way back in our, our I guess, anthropological history, um, that innate nature wanting to go out and create more for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, it can be very lonely and that's because nobody else knows what you're going through. No, even as another entrepreneur might share similar experiences, but they all have come from different parameters. Right. And so uh, me, myself, you know, I'm fortunate enough that my parents were, while they initially weren't supportive of the direction I was going in, they were always supportive of me as a person. The Forever Youngs Podcast.